Hi friends, welcome back to the Sailor's Daughter podcast where we are navigating personal and professional resilience. Uh, My name is Kimber Marie and today I am interviewing Sarah Lorenzen. I'm very excited about this episode as I usually am about all episodes just because Sarah has a lot of knowledge when it comes to uh, financial education. Uh, She's actually a certified financial education instructor which she received from the National Financial Educators Council, currently works at Oklahoma College Assistance Program. So this is her job. She helps to educate adults on their decisions concerning finances. To be clear, though, with this episode, we're diving into student loans, and I'll explain why in a minute, but before I do that, I do want to clarify that any any information given in this podcast or the next, because I've split it into two different episodes, uh, it's merely for education purposes, so please do not take anything you hear in this as necessarily as advice. Um, It is meant to help you dive into this subject, which can very often feel overwhelming and intimidating. Um, Speaking about finances in some ways can even be an emotional subject for some people. So just keep in mind that this is just for education purposes. Um, My goal for these episodes is to kind of distill this conversation into the very basics. What should we know about student loans? And to go from there that any listener who is in a situation where they might need a student loan will go out and do the research that they need to to determine whether getting a student loan is right for them or if you already have them, maybe talking to a financial advisor or someone whose job it is to advise on your next best step to determine what that might look like for you. The reason I decided to make these make this a subject for some episodes here for the podcast is because I myself uh unfortunately am subject to student loans I when I was 18 I was dead set on paying for my own you know college experience which I don't regret that I don't mind paying for it and paying off the loans it's more so the price that uh stresses me out just as which of course many people are dealing with that stress as well. But needless to say, when I was 18, I signed off on a bunch of these private loans, unfortunately, to cover the cost of my undergraduate experience. Um, I was not, I did not have the financial education I should have um, had and the understanding of how loans work and how it would affect me in the future. But, you know, c'est la vie, that is life, we're here now, and my goal is to hopefully create these episodes for future students who are in a similar situation that I was in, who are looking for that information that I should have sought out before signing off on those loans. So again, this first episode, uh, part one of the discussion I had with Sarah, we're diving into the jargon around student loans. So Sarah's going to break down the types of loans that exist, consolidating, refinancing, what is a master promissory note or MPN, as well as deferment, forbearance, different types of repayment plans for federal loans, and some on- online tools for federal loans that you can use to kind of plan out what your um approach will be to pulling out student loans if you decide that that is the right step for you. I hope you enjoy. Um, Again, this is a first part episode of a two-part interview I had with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I am doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be speaking with you about uh, student loans today, which is not something I ever thought I would be saying to someone, uh, but it's an important subject. And um, I'm glad that you're here with me to kind of go over this subject. I am I am glad to be here and and I I resonate with that. I I never thought that I would spend my career literally talking to people every day about student loans. Uh that was probably the last thing I thought I would end up doing. How and that, you know, I would love to hear more about how you got to where you are today and how this passion for helping students figure out their financial path forward with going to school, um, you know, how that came to be. Absolutely. So uh, I was raised in a mostly single parent home. Uh, you know, my mom had a high school diploma, but no college. And 
you know, worked multiple jobs, kind of did the whole thing, made quite a few financial mistakes of her own, um, knew just enough about personal finance, as I like to say, to be dangerous because, um, you know, she definitely had some sound advice, but maybe not necessarily what I, you know, as someone in my thirties would have said to my 18 year old self now knowing what I know. Um, and, you know, obviously that meant that there was a struggle, you know, there was a period of time where we were, you know, on food stamps, we were using food pantry. Um, you know, she ended up having to file for bankruptcy when I was in high school. And, um, you know, in order to put myself through college, I ended up having to take student loans, definitely took more than I, that I needed to. Um, and I don't regret my student loans at all because as a first gen, which you probably know, there are some times that you just need that funding in order to get, you know, to your end goal. Um, but there definitely, I could have borrowed a lot smarter than I did. Um, and so it, it sort of, this job fell into my lap, but it's always been something that I've really, really loved and been very passionate about, um, you know, financial liter literacy, helping people be financially capable, um, and, you know, things helping people who are in poverty, try to, you know, kind of climb out of that. Um, and so that's sort of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, ended up becoming a certified financial education instructor, um, just because I wanted to make sure that I was learning everything I could possibly learn to make sure that I was giving people better advice than I got when I was 18. <laughs> I love that. And I definitely resonate with your story on taking out um, loans to pay for school, which is, you know, why I was so, you know, dead set on having someone on this podcast to go over this information. Because um, back in 2015, when I uh, graduated from high school, uh, I should have taken more time to think about what I actually wanted to do going forward, but was, you know, stubborn and dead set on going out of state. Um, I figured, oh, this, you know, scholarship I received would be enough to cover out-of-state tuition. It wasn't. Um, and then so just signed off on all of these private loans, um, which I would learn five years later is a lot harder to pay off than federal loans um, in some ways. And uh, when I decided to pursue law school, I made, you know, trying to pursue this financially smarter priority. So, you know, my goal was not so much what school do I want to go to and how can I get to it, but which school can I afford? Because um, at the end of the day, you just need a JD to practice, right? So for me, yeah. it was like, which one makes the most financial sense? So that's kind of been my path. Um, like many other students, I am knee deep in student loan debt. Uh, and there's a lot of shame around that for me. Um, but again, I think having conversations like this, you know, that's why they're so important. Um, and the more, you know, the more you're equipped to kind of get yourself out of that situation. Um, so with that being said, to start, I would love to kind of have you break down like the most important jargon when it comes to student loans. Cause I remember, and even to this day, when I'm looking at my finances for school, I get really lost with all the terms like subsidized, unsubsidized, consolidation, refinancing, all of that. Um, and I think it would really help to just kind of go through and break each of those down. Um, so just to start, why don't we go with subsidized versus unsubsidized versus plus loans? I can definitely do that. <laughs> um, so, well, I'm actually going to take a step back. Sure. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about the difference between federal and private, which you kind of gave me a great segue there because <laughs> you talked about your own experience. But I think before we talk about subsidized, unsubsidized, and plus, we really need to talk about the difference between federal and private. Um, so federal loans are just what they sound like. They're loans that come from the federal government. Uh, they, uh, most of them are held by the Department of Education. There are some older ones um, that are commercially held by lenders, but um, those programs don't exist anymore. So if you are taking out a loan right now uh, from a, a federal loan, it's going to be from the Department of Education. It's what they call a direct loan. Hmm. Um, that being said, there are also private loans, uh, which I know you are very uh, aware of. Those come from a bank. They are funded by some sort of financial entity. Um, the terms of them vary 
extremely widely depending on um, you know what bank you go to the different options you have if say you're struggling to make payments things afterwards very widely um, it really kind of depends on who you took the loan out with whereas federal loans because they all come from the federal government tend to be a little more standardized um, and tend to have a few more options now that being said we go back to what you initially said which is um the subsidized versus unsubsidized versus plus those are all types of federal loans Okay. And when you get your financial aid letter, you'll see those on there. Um, your subsidized loan generally are just for undergraduate students. Um, and your FAFSA tells the, your financial aid office whether you qualify for this or not. Um, what it is, is, it is a loan, but it is uh, subsidized. The interest on it is subsidized by the federal government while you are in school or in any type of deferment. Um, the example I always give my students when I'm talking to them is if you took out a subsidized loan the first semester of your freshman year of college um, for $1,000, you stayed in school all four years. When you graduate and you start paying it back, no interest has accumulated on that loan. So when you start paying it back, you'll start paying, like the interest will start to accumulate when you graduate, but it will start accumulating on that $1,000, Okay. An unsubsidized loan is also a loan. This is non-need-based, meaning pretty much any student can get them if they deem they need it. But um, the FAFSA is not going to tell your financial aid office that you need this loan in order to uh, pay for school. So even if you got no other financial aid, you could probably get access to an unsubsidized loan through your financial aid office. That being said, the caveat to an unsubsidized loan is it is just that. It starts accumulating interest that you as the borrower are responsible for from the very moment that they disperse that money to you um, or to your school and then the school does it to you. So if we said our same student, $1,000 in an unsubsidized loan that first semester of freshman year, it will accumulate interest that entire four years if you don't pay that interest while you're in school. Mm. Now, for the sake of math, we'll say that it accumulated $500 over the course of four years. So, and then it does what we call capitalizes on top of the loan, which basically gets added to the balance. So that being said, uh, then when you start paying it back after graduation, you're not getting interest charged on just $1,000. You're getting interest charged on $1,500 and growing as the interest continues to rise. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it is something to be aware of because you can make payments on unsubsidized loans for the interest while you're in school without having to pay the rest of the loan, but a lot of people don't know that. I know I sure didn't. Um, I didn't <laughs> and, and so when I got out of school and got my bill, it was very, very shocking <laughs> because all of a sudden my balances went up and I went, how did this happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there are uh, plus loans and plus loans are, there's actually two different kinds. Um, the first one is what you deal with in undergrad. It's called a parent plus loan. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It is a loan that your parents take out in their name to pay for your school. Um, so the money is in their name, but it goes to your school to pay your school bills. Um, that's important to note because I run into a lot of parents who go, oh, well, I will just transfer this to my kid after they graduate. And you can't. It is in their name. Now, if, you know, you and mom and dad have a conversation and like you agree to pay that loan off when you graduate, that's a completely different thing. But the loan stays in their name um, and it requires a credit check, which most federal loans do not. Subsidized, unsubsidized loans, you can have absolutely no credit established and they will give you those loans. Whereas with PLUS loans, you have to have established credit or they'll make you get a cosigner. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit more like a, a loan that you would get at a bank, like a private loan. And the other type of PLUS loans are graduate loans. Uh, which is going to be if you go to grad school, master's, doctorate. Uh, I'm sure you've probably come across them in law school. Yes. Um, and they 
both the parent plus and the grad plus are similar to the unsubsidized loans in the fact that they accumulate interest from day one. Hmm. Um, so they do require credit check, but they do also require interest while you're in school or in any kind of deferment or forbearance. Whereas a subsidized loan, if say you are in school or you um, go into a deferment, like say you were in the military, for example, and you go and you do a, a military deferment because you're deployed, your subsidized loans would stop accumulating interest for that period of time, but everything else continues to accumulate interest until you pay it off. Um, and so that's really important to understand. Yeah, <laughs> I can see how that would, you know, definitely surprise people. I, I'm It surprised me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, was there anything else about plus loans, like any other information on those? Um, I think that's, that's probably the basics that, that you need to know. Um, you can also get a consolidation loan, which I, I know we wanted to talk about consolidation refinance here in a little bit, so I won't get too into the weeds with it, but, um, there are also direct consolidation loans. So you can take all those loans and put them together, but we'll talk about that here in a bit. Cool. And I, I noticed, um, I'm looking at our notes that we, <laughs> that we <laughs> planned together. Federal versus private was next after kind of going through subsidized, unsubsidized and plus loans. Was there anything else about federal versus private that students should know about? Um, you should definitely know federal. I, I sort of mentioned this, but they have a lot more options as far as repayment. Uh, federal has things like income driven repayment options, meaning, your payment is based on your discretionary income versus on how much you took out, mm -hmm. um, which can definitely be helpful in preventing someone from, say, defaulting if you're having trouble paying for your loans. Um, also, they have options for things like deferment or forbearance, which I know I've already said those words, and I know we'll talk about that more here in a little bit. But um, basically, the gist of what that is, is they are in approved pause on payments for one reason or another um, that lets you not pay uh, for a period of time, um, it, which can uh, obviously be helpful if you like lose a job or something like that. Whereas the private loan, some of them have certain provisions like that. Um, you know, federal loans also have what they call death and disability di discharge, which are um, if you were to pass away unexpectedly, your federal loans could be for they would be discharged. So your family wouldn't have to be responsible for that uh, amount that you've borrowed, whatever that is. Whereas private loans don't necessarily have that provision. Some lenders do. Um, you know, as I mentioned, it varies super widely depending on who who you're borrowing from. But a lot of them don't have that provision. So that's something to take into account if you're going to take out a private loan is that if you have a very high balances in private loans and you don't get it paid off, um, you could cause problems for, for folks down the line um, if you don't have provisions on how to make sure that gets paid off, like life insurance or something like that. And going back to what you said about like federal loans kind of being more, I don't want to use the word forgiving because there's like a technical definition for that one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> to, to, to money and finances, but they're more flexible when you graduate. And I feel like I've seen this firsthand because when I got, when I started paying off both my federal and my private um, loans, when I graduated from undergrad, my private loan was like 10 times the amount that I needed to pay per month. Whereas like with the federal amount, like I, first off I had options. They gave me options based off of like, how much am I making, you know, right now? Do I, do I have a job? That kind of thing. Um, whereas I didn't get that with the private loan, of course, because the payments start and you're just expected to pay it. Would you say that that's kind of the story across the board when you're comparing federal versus private? That usually depending on how much you take out, it's less flexible and will probably be more than federal loans? In in my personal opinion, yes. But uh, I would really, anybody who's looking into a private loan, I'd say to really look at your financial situation and don't just plan best case scenario, like yeah. look at worst case scenario when you're you're considering it. Because for some people that, that actually is a better option. You know, back during the pandemic, um, interest rates were so, so low then in some cases that was actually the better deal, you know, because they had a lower interest rate. Um, if they only needed it for 
for a certain things. You know, I have friends who have taken out a private loan for their child's education. And for them, it was the best option because they knew that they could pay it off quickly. They had a super low interest rate for it. Um, they didn't have to wait till the kids started, you know, who graduated to start repaying on it. So they were able to just pull the money out and pay for it right then and there. So it depends on your circumstances, I would say. I I feel like overall, federal loans, which actually are somewhere around like 95 to 97% of the student loans that are out there, do tend to be more flexible um, mm -hmm. as far as your options because they they do offer income-driven repayment. They do offer where you can call up your servicer and say, I'm having trouble paying my bill. What are my options? And they, there are a lot of options. Whereas, you know, with your private loans, your options tend to just be like, oh, well, you could refinance it for a lower interest rate. Yep. And that's, and that's really it in, in a lot of cases. So yeah, I do, my, my personal opinion, I do think that uh, it is, much easier uh, to manage a federal loan, even if the balances are very high. I, I think they make it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, and that's also a good segue into the next, like the difference between consolidation and refinancing, uh, which I've also had to deal with. So I'm looking forward to hearing your input on this. All right. This one, I definitely get a lot of questions on when I, when I, speak to graduating students or even adults who have been out for a while. Um, so consolidation is when you take all of your federal loans and you consolidate them into one, sometimes two, uh, consolidating federal loans. So you'd put it into a direct consolidation loan. Um, the reason I say two is because a lot of times they'll take, if you have subsidized and unsubsidized loans, they'll take all your unsubsidized and put them in one loan and all your subsidized and put them in another loan mm -hmm. to keep them separate. Because as I mentioned, sometimes the, the terms of those are a little bit different, but either way, it makes it a lot easier to keep it all in one balance. When you're making payments, your payment is going more towards principal um, because you're not paying, you know, 15 different loans, you're paying one or two. Um, but it is only for federal loans. You can't take like a private loan and put it into a federal loan. You have, you can only consolidate private loans into private loans. Yeah. Uh, whereas refinance, you take all of your federal loans and your private loans, and you can consolidate them into one private loan. So that is the really important point here. Um, Yes, you can refinance for a longer term, a shorter term, a lower interest rate, a higher interest rate, whatever. Um, it is based on your credit if you refinance. Um, consolidation is not necessarily based on your credit. Your interest rate is going to be like a weighted average mm -hmm. of all of your loans. So if you got some at 4% from some at 6 it's going to be somewhere in the middle um, is going to be what your interest rate is, whereas refinance is based on your credit just like any other private loan. Um, also, when you refinance, you lose all federal benefits on your loans. So if you had federal loans and you consolidate, or excuse me, you refinance them with your private loans into one loan, that's great because it could make it easier to just make one payment, but you will no longer have access to income-driven repayment plans. You will no longer have access to deferment or forbearance. You will no longer have access to even like uh, forgiveness programs like public service loan forgiveness or, um, you know, the death and disability discharge. All that stuff goes out the window um, when you take a private loan. Now, for some people, that works great. But for some people, that is not that is not the best option. Um, especially depending on how much your balances are. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing just to note with consolidation and something that a lot of people don't necessarily think of is if you are one of those people that is like, well, hey, I'd be interested in public service loan forgiveness or something like that after the fact. If you consolidate your loans, as it previously had been, if you consolidate your loans, your loan payments that you've made that would qualify towards that forgiveness program restarts the clock. Mm. So if you, you know, had five years of payments and then you consolidated everything into one loan, it mm. starts over at payment zero. 
as far as that goes. Now, President Biden's administration has done a lot of work as far as trying to make this a little bit more of a friendly process. And going forward, they're trying to make it to where um, you'll get a weighted average of the payments that you've already made. Um, so you won't get all of your payments, but they'll make it to where you you do still have some of them qualify, which is definitely better than it's been in the past. And then next we have a master promissory note. And I am also looking forward to this because every year I have to Google what is this and why am I signing it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am definitely glad we're covering this because I feel like this is one of the things that people who take out student loans do not understand and you really need to. So, you know, when you take out any type of loan, right, you sign <laughs> some sort of contract saying that you're going to pay that loan back. Well, that's what a master promissory note is, or an MPN is how we we tend to refer to it in the, you know, higher ed financial aid world. Um, so your MPN is just that. It is the terms and conditions of your, of your loan. It <laughs> says you're going to pay it back. Um, you know, there is a very clear section in there uh, called a promise to pay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while they've been, Congress has been trying to make it easier to bankrupt student loans because there are so many people who have been having issues paying it back. As of this moment, it is still very rare that someone is able to bankrupt student loans. So um, it is very important that students read that all the way through. I know it is long and tedious and it definitely is even trying to explain it to students is not my favorite part of my job but it's vitally important that you read it and fully understand what you're signing every time um because if you don't meet the terms of that mpn you like you don't make your payments on time you don't reach out to your servicer to get it put in forbearance before you're going to miss a payment or you um, don't reach out to get put on an income-driven repayment plan if you need one. It will be considered uh, violating the terms and conditions of your master promissory note. And it can cause you to default on your loan, just like if you weren't paying your loan. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important to make sure that you're reading it. And so you fully understand what you're signing. Uh, because once you take those loans out, those loans are going to be with you until you pay them off. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a question on that. And this is going to be like worse. I mean, I, I would imagine worst case scenario. So let's say someone, you know, is needing, wanting to file for bankruptcy um, and their student loans don't qualify. Like what happens then? Like if you're missing payments every month, you does it just, you just keep getting really angry letters from your, from in the mail or um, well, more than likely what would happen if you, you know, stopped paying them, you would go into default. Mm -hmm. Um, and with default, the federal government can garnish your wages. They can, um, take your federal and state tax return refunds. Um, they can prevent you from getting any other additional federal aid, uh, there's a lot of things that can can happen. So it's definitely not something you want to happen. Um, like I said, some people have been able to bankrupt their loans, but it is very rare. Yeah. Very, very rare. Um, you know, I have talked to bankruptcy attorneys that have told me, you know, the percentage of people that they've actually been able to help them bankrupt their loan are next to nothing. Wow. Um, because it has to be really extreme circumstances for that to be approved. Um, so that being said, um, your best bet if you are struggling with your payments is to fill out the paperwork for either an income-driven or payment plan or something like that. Um, you know, studentaid.gov, which I know we'll discuss here in a little bit, but um, it, it is sort of a hub of all things your student loans. And you can, they have really good tools on there now that help you kind of figure out what your options are mm -hmm. when it comes to your federal loans to figure out whether you are um, eligible for an income-driven repayment plan or, um, you know, if you're eligible for a deferment or, or a forbearance for whatever the reason is that you're struggling to pay. So, and it's really important that you do that before you just not pay because once you've defaulted on the loan, all of those options go out the window and 
it's really hard to come back from that. Yeah. Well, and that's a good segue into what is deferment and forbearance. <laughs> <laughs> so um, deferment and forbearance, as I mentioned earlier, are um, approved pauses uh, on your payments for one reason or another. Deferment, generally, you have to have a reason. Uh, you're in school. You are seeking cancer treatment. You are um, is in residency for um you know, your, your med program, you are, um, in the military and you are on deployment there, there has to be a reason you have to certify with paperwork, um, those applications. And there's a separate ap application for whichever one you're, you're wanting to get into, um, forbearance is very similar, but you don't need as stringent a reason um, you could just be struggling with payments and they can put you into a forbearance. I mean, I had one point probably about 10 years ago, I was struggling with my payments and I called my servicer and they go, well, we can give you a forbearance for exactly a month <laughs> <laughs> to make, to make that happen. And while that's definitely not the best scenario, yeah. um, it definitely was helpful in that, in that month when we were, ha I was having issues making my payment, um, the other thing to keep in mind is if you ha have subsidized loans, uh, while you are in deferment, those subsidized loans do not accumulate interest, but any unsubsidized or plus loans you have will continue to accumulate interest regardless of whether you're in a deferment or a forbearance. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind. And if, if you do have the money to be paying on that interest during the pause, even if you don't have the money for the full payment, it's a really good idea to try to make some of that. So you're making a little bit of headway and that amount isn't continuing to capitalize on top of your loan. That is all very good to know, especially about, I was wondering about the forbearance because I was expecting you to say the bank uh, or, you know, the provider would say, oh, we'll give you like six months, <laughs> but it sounds like it's definitely less forgiving than that. So <laughs> uh, they, they can, they can give you six months. I've had it for as little as a month. Um, you can get it up to a maximum of three years. Mm. Um, so a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. It okay. is. It's on a case by case basis. And it is important to know once you come back out of forbearance, anything that's accumulated does capitalize on top of your loan. That is something that I was not explained to me well the first time, the first couple times I had to go into forbearance for one reason or another, and then was extremely surprised when my balance jumped way up <laughs> afterwards. And I was like, wait, I was trying to prevent this from happening by going into a forbearance. And they were like, well, sorry. So it's, it's yeah. important to understand that it's going to continue to accumulate interest while you're in either a deferment or forbearance. That is good to know. And in terms of income-driven repayment options, uh, as students, you know, start paying off these loans uh, when they're in effect again, you know, what information do you have on that? Well, uh, there are eight different kinds currently, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a lot. Uh, and I actually am pulling up the document because I always forget the names of all of them because there's <laughs> a lot. Um, so you know, just for the federal, right? These, these are, are just for the federal options, right? So, um, there's your standard, which when you take out a student loan the first time, they generally default you into your standard repayment, which is you have a fixed payment based on how much you took out. Um, that is it meant to let you pay it off in 10 years, right? Over time, you'll pay less interest because it's the shortest period and you're paying the interest and the principal. Um, but there are some other options. There is a graduated tenure, which means that you will pay less in the beginning. So your first couple of years, you may only have a payment of, you know, $150. But towards the end of it, hypothetically, you're making more money after 10 years. Um, and so your balance, your uh, payment will grow. Mm. That's important to know because, you know, depending on how many loans you have, you could by year 10 have a payment of, you know, $600 um, to make sure that the rest of that gets paid off in 10 years. But it definitely helps when you're first starting out because it can 
you know, sort of ease you into the repayment and uh, help you pay more as your salary hypothetically increases with the jobs that you'll get in the 10 years after graduation. Um, the next is extended, which is, gives you 25 years to pay. Um, you'll generally see this for people who have more than $30,000 worth of debt. That's the minimum amount that you can have to be able to be eligible for that plan. And um, your payments are lower, but you do pay more over time because more interest is going to accumulate in more time. Um, but they have a fixed option as well as a graduated payment option within the extended. Um, you'll see that a lot for folks that are coming out of law school, folks that are um, <laughs> folks that are coming out of med school, um, they tend to be on this uh, extended plan right out the, right, right out of the gate because they do have larger balances. Um, and hypothetically, they're going to be making more money later on so they can they can pay those off faster. <laughs> yeah, <fingers laughs> crossed. <laughs> um, and then there are four income driven repayment options. Um, there is revised pay as you earn pay as you earn, income contingent repayment, and income-based repayment. And I'll talk a little bit about what those are. I just wanted to get all the names out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, income-based repayment is the one that most people know about. It was the kind of the first income-driven plan. Uh, it is 10 to 15% of your discretionary income, whether it's 10 or 15, depends on when you graduated. Um, those who of us who had loans before you know, 2014, uh, they are 15% on that plan. But folks after that are generally 10%. Um, gives you 20 to 25 years to pay it off. You recertify your income every single year just to tell them um, how much money you, you're making. They'll do your discretionary income. Um, but your spouse's income and your spouse's student loan debt are included in that. So um, that's important to know. I have uh, a friend of mine and we had to sit down um, actually during the pandemic because she was trying to figure out the whole public service loan forgiveness thing. And, and we sat down and talked and we were trying to get her on an income driven plan. And the problem she ran into is that she worked for the state. So she didn't make a tremendous amount of money, but her husband owns a brewery and makes a lot of money. Um, and so he, uh, they ran into the problem of she didn't qualify for it because combined they made a lot, even though she was the only one that paid her student loans. Like he wasn't paying her student loans. They had kept their loan debt separate. Um, so that's something to keep in mind if you are, you know, married or going to be getting married and want to get on one of these plans, um, that your spouse's income can be included. Mm. Um, then there's pay as you earn, which is a really high debt to income ratio, and it's 10% of your discretionary income. And kind of everything else is the same. You have to recertify every year. They can include your spouse's income. Um, repay is, is similar. The only difference is there's a lot lower threshold to qualify for it. Like you can have a smaller debt to income ratio um, and still qualify for it. And then income contingent repayment is 20% of, of uh, what's going on. Um, now, important to note, if you've been watching the news, um, President Biden just announced that um, saving, what's it called? It's called the save plan, but saving on a, whatever, I forget what the, <laughs> what the acronym is. Um, <laughs> but what it's going to, going to happen is it's going to replace the repay um, plan. They're going to get rid of repay um, and do this save plan. Mm -hmm. And for undergraduate loans, you'll be paying 5% of your discretionary income, um, your graduate loans, 10%. And if you got both, like I do, you'll have uh, sort of the weighted average between the two is what you'll be paying of your discretionary income. The cool things about it is that um, your interest if say like your interest accumulating is $400 but your payment's only 150 that additional interest is not going to capitalize on top of your balance as long as you're making your payments mm -hmm. and um people who are married and filing separately on their taxes do actually have the option of not including their spouse's income um so it will definitely make things a lot um 
better for a lot of people, I think. Um, and then they have a forgiveness provision, but we're going to get down a rabbit hole if I start going <laughs> into all of that. <laughs> that sounds like a good addition. So that way people don't have to question whether, you know, they should just get married at all or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> complicate things financially. Um, wow. That's a lot of repayment options. <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing. Yeah. Um which I spent a lot of time talking to students about these options because there are a lot and they are confusing. And that's one of the things that's going to be very good about this save plan is that it's going to make it a lot more, a lot less confusing. They're going to phase out some of the other plans and make it toward this as sort of the predominant income driven plan. Um, and so I think it's going to be a lot less confusing going forward. And when is that supposed to go? Like until then, I guess my my real question is how should students choose, you know, if they're looking at repayment options? I would go to studentaid.gov and I would, um, they have what's called a loan simulator. Mm -hmm. You'll go and you'll sign in. I know we, we had this on our list of things to talk about, but we'll just talk about it now because yeah. it's it's relevant. It was um, next anyway. So. <laughs> it was the next thing on the list. So um, studentaid.gov is the uh, federal student aids website. It has where all of any grants you've received, any federal student loans you've received, your balances are going to be kept there. So you go to studentaid.gov, you sign in with your FSA ID. That is what you use to... to um, fill out your FAFSA. Um, you know, if you're like me and that wasn't what you used to fill out your FAFSA, you can go and sign up for a login um, to get to your information. But once you're inside, it shows you um, your little dashboard and it'll say like, this is your loan balance. Here's how much interest has accumulated. Here is your principal balance. Here's how many grants you received while you were in school if you got those. And down in sort of the quick links on the bottom right-hand corner, you're going to see a loan simulator. And this is a great tool. I They just started this within the last couple of years, and I cannot preach this tool more than I do. Like it is, I think I would have probably sidestepped several um, times of needing forbearance, several times of like different financial mistakes I've made with my student loans over the years had this tool been available that I could kind of see everything in black and white. So that being said, when you go to loan simulator, it will bring up some options. The first one is going to be, I want to find the best repayment plan for my loans. The next option is I'm struggling to make my payments. And then there's another option of, uh, I want to simulate borrowing more money. So if you are currently a student and you're wanting to borrow more money in the future, you can go in and hypothetically add that amount to your balance and actually see a realistic, what your payment is going to look like, what your different options are, how much you're going to end up paying over time, including interest. Um, and it, it will, depending on how you answer the questions going forward, it will help you to um, be able to sort of discern what is the best option. Like it will recommend an option, but it'll also let you look at all of the options. So if you're like, well, it recommended repay, but I don't know if that's really what I want to do. You can go in and you can actually look at all of the options at once and compare them. Um, but what you'll do is we'll say for a new student who just graduated, you're going to click, I want to find the best repayment strategy. And then it's going to ask you, like, what state you live in? Are you married? Um, you know, what's your tax filing status? It's going to um, ask you some questions like, do you have a job? Do you have dependents? Are you married? Um, do you contribute to a 401k? There's several others. Once you've answered everything that applies to you, you're just going to follow the prompts. You're going to answer the questions um, that they ask you. And once you've put all of that in there, um, with, you know, the salary you're making, all of that, it will make a recommendation of, we think this is the best plan for you. Um, you know, we think that repay or we think IVR is the best option for your loans. And if you are one of those folks that's trying to look for public service loan forgiveness and find a best plan for that too, it actually has a little option that you can like toggle on and off. Like I'm interested in public service loan forgiveness 
and it will allow you to see your um, PSLF amount once you have reached that. Um, and so it, it is extremely helpful because you can look and go, oh, hey, okay, so the range of payments that I would have would be $150 to $200 a month. I could definitely do that. And once you've gotten to the screen where it makes its recommendations, you can actually change your options because it'll say like, uh, what's your, your goal? Do you want to pay off your loans as fast as possible? Do you want to pay as little as possible every month, like the lowest payment? Um, do you want to pay it all off by a certain time? Do you um, want to pay a certain amount every month? Like maybe you only have $300 in your budget that you could put towards a student loan. So you put that in there and it does the calculations for you and it, it helps recommend a plan that works. So it is, it is wildly helpful. Um, and Sounds especially, good. yeah, especially <laughs> if you're struggling this, particularly the I'm struggling with my loans part. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had, you know, 10 years ago when I, you know, before I knew everything that I know about student loans, before I had kind of started doing this, I wish that that tool had existed because yeah. it allows you to go in and say, Hey, like I'm receiving benefits. I am unemployed. I am, you know, receiving cancer treatment. I am uh, doing all of these other things and it will take all of your answers to all of the questions that it asks. And then it will recommend we think you have these options. You know, your option is you can seek a deferment for X. You can do an income-driven repayment plan and we recommend this plan. Um, and then it shows you all your options and it breaks it down for you as well as gives you a link to the application of what it is. So if say you needed to apply for a deferment, you would just click on the link and then it helps you fill out the application and tells you what to do with the paperwork. Um, so they've made it a lot easier and a lot more streamlined um, than it ever has been before. And yes, you still have to deal with your servicer if you're going to miss a payment or something like that. But I love it because it is definitely lets you see what your options are without having to deal with your servicer. Like, you know, you know, because that that's no shade to, to the, the servicers, right? Like they, they're just doing their job, but humans make mistakes, you know, and I I've worked in a call center before and not everybody knows everything and not every scenario is the same. So sometimes people can make mistakes in the recommendations. And so I like the fact that this will go and take all of your information and it'll say, Hey, these are your options. So you can make your decision. So once you call your servicer, you can say, Oh, Hey, I am applying to get on an income driven payment plan, or I am, you know, I need to apply for a forbearance or whatever. And you're armed with that knowledge when you call your servicer. So you know what your options are, but going in. And there you have it. Uh, the first part to the two-part interview I had with Sarah Lorenzen, again, a certified financial educator at Oklahoma College Assistance Program. This was a really great <laughs> review for me personally on the different student loan jargon that is out there. But the reason that I really wanted to start with this is because looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. looking back on my approach to financing my way through undergrad and now through law school, um, I approach law school way more informed financially than I did undergrad, which I think I'm sure that there's people out there who, you know, can relate to that. And so something I remember you know, when I was graduating from high school and pursuing this financing of my undergraduate experience, I was overwhelmed and intimidated by all of the jargon. Um, and when you're overwhelmed and intimidated and uninformed on a subject, that can lead to making decisions kind of made more emotionally than reasonably, I would say. And so I wish that I had just you know, kind of dove into this jargon and really researched it out more um, that I had listened to and gone to advisors that I had in my life, which there weren't a lot. We had guidance counselors at school, but many of them were more focused on in-state colleges. Uh, whenever I talked about 
out-of-state colleges that, you know, was an area that they weren't as familiar with, which makes sense because most of the kids at my school were going to in-state schools. Um, But that's not really, you know, I guess looking back, I wish that I had just sat down and not let this feeling of intimidation towards something that I didn't know keep me from finding the information that I needed to make an informed decision because it's you know it's we're in modern day society we have google at our fingertips there's really no excuse for me to not seek out this information um I will say though also you know giving in my defense and the defense of other people who were in similar situations we were 18 maybe 17, maybe even 16. Um, And so it's not like we're making the most reasonable judgments at that age either. So it's, you know, there are multiple ways of looking at it. Again, hindsight's 2020. But that is why I wanted to record this episode. Sarah provides a really great, just straightforward, objective way of diving into this jargon. Here's a primer of what you need to know about student loans, and it sets us up really well to continue this conversation in two weeks, where we will dive into the more personal journey that I've taken as well as what Sarah has taken, um, and the more kind of, uh, I guess, case-by-case situation. Like, once you move past the jargon, everyone's pulling out student loans for different reasons, right? For different programs, uh, because they have different backgrounds and different understandings. And so we kind of move into a more personal conversation in the next episode. Uh, and I'm looking forward to y'all hearing that as well. But until then, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, comment, subscribe, insert all the things that professional content creators make here. Uh, please connect with us on LinkedIn. Very active there. And I hope y'all have a great day. Bye.